the other day. We'd been on holidays for a week and I said, Lord, I feel really dry. Something's not right. And I was watching Braveheart and William Wallace was knighted because of the fight that he fought for freedom. And all the Scottish nobles were were arguing about who was going to have the greatest glory and he and he wanted to go and invade England so that he could get back the freedom of his people. And, and the nobles said, oh, you can't do that. And he said this, he says, why is that impossible? And he turned to them and said, you have been so concerned with squabbling for the scraps from the king of England's table for so long that you've missed your God-given right to something better. And he was speaking to me because I realised that I'd been settling for the scraps instead of living in God's fullness. And what you heard from Moana this morning was God's fullness. And so many of us have settled for something far less than God's best. And I realised as I all the scriptures that God had been teaching me that week, there was unbelief in my heart. I'd come to a point in my life where I really didn't believe what I was reading anymore. I'd lost it. And God really challenged me that there was something wrong in my life and I had to go back to the basics, to the foundations and get it right. So what I want to share with you today comes out of that, out of that little journey I've been in. And it was this verse, whoever believes in me will do the works I have done and I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And I realised that's not the testimony of my life, not consistently. And so something's wrong, and I started digging. And and I want to share with you today that I had to have a reckoning with God. Do I really have a life of faith filled to its fullness, or do I have something lesser than that? And I realised I had something lesser than. So this is not about so much me pointing my finger at your life. It's about me holding the mirror up to mine and, and trying to find out, Lord, where have I gone wrong? What's wrong? And, and the scriptures say that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not just a dribble, but the fullness of God. That's the place that we need to be in. And this is where the Lord took me. He took me back to Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of believers. And this is what he wrote to them. We have much to say about the fullness in God, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead 
and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The words that we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote that, those words jumped out at me because I realized that something in my foundational belief system wasn't complete for me to be in the situation that I'm in. And so it was really, you know, what's the writer saying here? He's saying that we're no tr- these people were no longer trying to understand anymore. And so to actually teach people was going to be confrontational, was going to be a difficult thing. But he was really saying we've got to go on to maturity and God's not going to let us go on to maturity unless the foundations are right. It's nonsensical. It's like building the foundations of a building and having the builder inspector come out and he goes, well, this is a red card. I can't give you a green card because if you build on those foundations, something up here is going to teeter over or something's going to go wrong. You're not going to have the stability and the strength of the foundational truths on which to go on to deeper things in God. And I realized, Lord, something's gone wrong here for me personally. And I started digging through. If these are the elementary things, I should be able to say to any one of you, could you come up here this morning and teach us about repentance and teach us about faith? And teach us about baptisms and teach us about the laying on of hands and teach us about the resurrection of the dead and teach us about eternal judgment. Because these are the simple basic truths. This is Christianity 101. And what I realized for me was that I, I know these things intellectually. I know them cognitively, but I'm not living them out. Not in their fullness. And so I, I read this, and, and whoever it was was chastising these people for being immature. They'd closed off, or they'd become satisfied with where they were in their journey of Christianity. They'd become stagnant, really. They were just sucking on a milk bottle instead of feeding off the meat of, of the fullness of God. And so he charged them about their own condition to go on to maturity, and he, he challenged them to acquire solid doctrinal foundations. Number of things I want to say here. Those six things are foundational, but they may not be foundational because you were never taught. No one, no teacher, no disciple, no mentor actually walked you through the truth of that meaning. And you can't be held responsible for what you don't know. So that could be a reason why some of us struggle. That we weren't told the truth. So we live ignorant of the truth. It may be because we got taught incorrectly. We got bits and pieces or we got the incorrect teaching. And so our foundation isn't the full and complete foundation because we were taught wrong or we, taught, we were taught insufficiently. So we live off fragments of the truth. Or it could be that we know the truth but we're just not living it. We're just not making the right choices. So we either need instruction or revelation or we need correction and modification and we need supplementary teaching so that we've got it all. We need God to revitalize our heart again about these fundamental truths. Remember, the end goal is to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Not a half-filled tank, but a full tank. So if we don't possess an adequate knowledge and application of this 
these six essential doctrinal truths, by definition, we're, all mature, we're still mature, immature. We're destined to have the less than God's best. So we've got to get these things right, no matter how long we've been a Christian. Can I ask you a question? Who's, who's been a Christian more than five years? Okay, 10? 20? Anyone over 20? Okay, so you guys should be able to do this better than anybody. <laughs> Or I won't put anybody on the spot and get you to come up. But do you see what I'm saying? Um, if, we, if we don't have God's foundational truth, then we're going to have deficiency and then we're going to have inconsistency because we're trying to live without the fullness. And that's going to bring confusion because our lives aren't going to work out the right way. And then we're going to have contention with people that believe other things because we don't all believe the same. And then we're going to end up in division and then we're going to end up in delusionment, disillusionment. We're going to have Christians that, that, that are striving in their own strength or they've tried things and they don't work. And that's what I was getting to a point of saying, God, it's not working for me. Something's not right. What, what is it? What's gone wrong? And I needed to go back. And I realized that, that I had just lost um, an, an awareness of, of the depth of these six things, of of the importance of these things, and 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 how much they still play out in my life, I, I'd lost them. And they're really important foundations because if we don't understand repentance, then then how can someone like Moana understand that even though she lived such a horrible life, that's not her anymore, and that God fully completed, completely eradicated that past. And gave her a totally new future. If, if I don't understand repentance, if I don't have an abhorrence to sin. You see, my problem about repentance that God showed me was that I, I, I didn't like the penalty of sin, which was going to hell. But I'd never hated sin itself. And so if I didn't hate sin, then I could compromise or rationalize why it was okay to do things. And God said, Mark, you need to get back to understanding my heart is a heart of holiness. And any little thing that you do has to be weighed up as important as any bad, you know, super huge thing. It's still sin. And you've lost the weight of that in your life. When was the last time you repented? And I realized that I hadn't been... You know, I, I just hadn't been living in God's fullness. I, I didn't have that, that hatred of sin in my own life anymore and had been a little bit compromising. You know, the Greek word for, for repentance is a, is a complete turn away from your past. And, and what I've been hearing in people's lives so much lately is almost like we've forgotten to turn away. You know, we've forgotten to put those things behind us. And it's almost like we're mixing the two together and we're compromising. God's saying that doesn't, that's not the foundation. You can't live your life that way. Sin is sin and repentance is repentance and you need to keep that firmly in your heart at all times, that I'm a holy God. Be holy because I am holy. The other thing that really struck me as I was looking through this was, and this is for me, the real key, that when the foundations, these six foundations were laid in my life, I was never taught to believe in a supernatural God. 
was taught to believe in Jesus, who was a good teacher, who was a, who was a loving man. But no one ever taught me the, the completeness of the gospel, of, 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 of a supernatural God who loved me incredibly, who wants to indwell my life and make me just like him. There was all this fear surrounding the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a root of stronghold in my life to really embrace the supernatural. And that's what God put his finger on when I was watching Bravehearts. Why is it impossible for us to invade England? Why, Mark, is it impossible for you to do the same things that Jesus did? You've got a blockage there. It's not impossible. But you've got unbelief in your heart. You've got to root it out. You've got to do whatever needs to be done to get it out. And I, and I love this concept of faith. Because when Moama stood here this morning, she just said, I'm so in love with Jesus. Isn't that what we believe in? A God that sent his only son to die for my sin, my wretchedness, and to give me his righteousness, how undeserving I am of that. And if I ever lose sight of that, what do I become? I fall out of love with the God that loved me so much. And we need to have that, 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 that concept of this kingdom that we've discovered in this king. It's like a field with a treasure in it. And this man discovered the treasure and he went and he sold everything so he could possess that treasure. He was sold out completely for God. He was obsessed, possessed, whatever S do you want to put on it. That was him. And we have lost that. I know I lost that somewhere along the way. I didn't lose it completely. I just wasn't full of God anymore. I was starting to live by my own strength and, and, and self. That's not the gospel that we're taught. My good works don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. So today I want, I want to teach you about what I understand about the third doctrine here, the baptism of of God, because I believe, for me, that complete, completes the picture. If I was to ask you how many baptisms there are in Scripture, give you a minute to think about it. How many baptisms do you think there are? How many people think there's one? How many people think there's two baptisms? Got a few hands going up. How many people think there's three baptisms? How many people don't know? <laughs> Lots. Okay. So if we don't have unity of understanding about that one doctrine, then how can we live in the fullness of God? We can't, just by pure definition, because we don't all believe the same thing. And we have denominations right down this corridor that when it comes to this doctrine of baptisms, we have all different sorts of beliefs. In my mind, there's an ultimate truth, and that truth will lead us into the fullness of God. So anything less than that truth, I'm going to come up short. We've got to walk in the fullness of the doctrine that God has given us, not just cognitively, not just knowing it, but then letting it outwork in our lives. Okay, And the doctrine of baptism covers 
the essential things that we need to know. And I want to explain that to you this morning. Now, in, in, in the time of Christ and John the Baptist, when people were baptized, they understood that word very clearly. They understood the concept of, of baptism because in those days they used to dye cloth, right? It's all wet, it's all right. It's only water. And they would immerse a material into a liquid and that liquid would change the colour of the, of the material, right, into whatever it was, be it purple or bright red or whatever. And so it, it was an immersion into that thing. And that dye, whatever colour it was, blended with the cloth and it was permanently changed forever. You couldn't get it out. It didn't matter how much, you know, Omo or whatever you used in the washing machine. It was going to change that. It was permanently transformed. That's the concept of baptism. What we're baptized into changes us forever and a day. So there are, I believe there's three baptisms. Okay, the first one is our baptism into Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Okay, think about the people. The, the subject that's doing the baptism, who that baptism's immersed into, and what the outcome is. Okay, The scripture says, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into Christ's body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you not know that as many of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So here we go. The first doctrine is repentance. Second doctrine is faith. On the basis of my faith in Christ, the person and the work of Christ, my recognition of my sin, I repent. I turn from my wicked ways and I choose to follow God. On the basis of that confession, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. Okay, so what happens? The Holy Spirit hears your testimony, hears your declaration, and he takes you and he immerses you into Christ, right? Into Christ, like a baptism, you are put into him. Okay, where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, who is Christ? He's our deliverer. Right? He's our saviour and we're baptised into the work that he did because he's our deliverer. Okay? Um, it's, it's the same principle of the Old Testament when, when God's wrath was against the world, Noah had to build an ark and his family had to go into the ark to be delivered. Right? Same principle with God. God's wrath is against us and we have to get into Christ to be delivered from our sin from the wrath of God. And so we're baptised into Christ. The Holy Spirit takes Mel and he baptises her into Christ. And that, that, that phrase, in Christ, becomes our identity. Okay, That's who we are. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new has come. So it's all about my salvation. Because I've repented, because I have faith in Christ, I am, by the declaration of my mouth, God's waiting to hear that revelation that I understand. And then he goes, right, I'm baptizing you into Christ. And we're born again. We're a new creation. I was in the line of Adam, sinful Adam. God cuts that off and he puts me into the line of Christ. Do you get that? That's so important. 
that we understand that that's the first baptism that we have. And there's all this benefit that comes as a result of that. When I'm outside Christ, I've got no spiritual blessings, no redemption, no forgiveness of sin. I've got condemnation all over me. I've got my own sinful nature. Uh, I've got no salvation. I've got no eternal life. But the moment that I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart, the Holy Spirit does the transaction. He's just waiting for the declaration. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute. And then I'm in Christ. The scripture says I have every spiritual blessing. I have redemption. I have forgiveness of sin. I'm not under condemnation anymore. I'm a new creation. I'm saved. I have eternal life. But that's just the beginning. That's just the start of the process. I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. He was a human being, God who became a human being, and it's into, into the work that he did as both God and man that I can be in him. He declared the way for us to go. The second is our baptism into water by a disciple. So go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Moana's going to get baptized today. It doesn't matter who does the baptism as long as it's a disciple. Because the important part is, is, is not the doer in this case. In the first instance, it's the Holy Spirit baptising us into Christ. And by going through Christ, we get to the Father. That's the end goal. We want to be one with the Father. Um, but in water, what we're doing is we're symbolising what the Holy Spirit has already done by baptising us into Christ in heaven, now we're symbolizing that same thing on earth by declaring that I'm dead and buried and I'm resurrected to new life. I'm a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the declaration. So it's a washing with water and it's a death, burial and resurrection to new life. Does that make sense? So the immersion into water isn't really the significant thing. Okay, because even though Mo, Emma and I are going to get into that really cold water today, <laughs> the water's not going to change Moana forever, is it? It's just a symbolism. But the fact that she's already been immersed into Christ has eternally changed her. But even though she goes through the waters of baptism today and she'll come up out of that water, she's already a new creation. God's already done the transaction. We're already justified. The transaction's already done. So what was executed propositionally by the Holy Spirit baptising us into the accomplished work of Christ is now symbolised physically by us going through those waters of baptism on earth. Okay? It's really exciting, this stuff, isn't it? Now, read this passage really carefully. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous the righteous Jesus for the unrighteous me, to bring me to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the, the, prison, uh, the spirits um, in hell and to those who uh, long ago were disobedient when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people in the ark, only a few people, 18 all, were saved through water. And this water now symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. So the understanding of um, 
of, of my sinfulness and, and my sinful condition means that I want to repent. And that's my declaration of a good conscience towards God. God, I'm a mess. I'm a wretched sinner. And I need your grace and I need your forgiveness. So it's the, that declaration that's happened from our heart that's the important part here. It's, it's the renewal in, 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 it's not the water that's doing anything significant. It's the declaration of my recognition that I'm a sinner saved by grace, that I needed to identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. But that baptism is important. Why did Peter say that it saves you? I mean, that's strong language. So he's saying there's some value in the baptism of water that's essential for us. It's a foundation. It's a foundation for us to go into Christ. It's a foundation for us to go into water. And there's a lot of people, you think about all the different denominations. Oh, it's okay to have infant baptism. There's people in this congregation who are adults who have never been baptized. All I can say to you is that's God's truth. That's his truth. And if we're going to live in fullness, then we've got to live in the fullness of his truth. We've got to be obedient to what he wants. I also believe that there's a third baptism. And these are, these, are, these are separate, but they go together. And they bring us into the fullness. The third baptism is our baptism into the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Notice the different people in the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ and all those benefits of being in Christ become ours and then Christ goes, okay, you're saved now. Now I'm going to baptize you into my spirit. And we need all three. They're so significant. In the Synoptic Gospels, there are only four things that all of those authors talk about. Okay, Synoptic means similar. But we've got to look at the Gospel of John as well. There's only four things, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the baptism into the Holy Spirit that all four of them talk about. That makes them essential, and that's embedded in these three doctrines, repentance, faith, and baptisms. So I baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, Jesus, will baptize you with Holy Spirit. And this was John's message. It's the same again in Mark. It's the same again in Luke. But John's is slightly different. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven like a dove. Not, I saw a dove came, come down from heaven like the Holy Spirit. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven like a dove on the side, remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me, the Father, to baptize with water, told me the one who, on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, same again in Acts. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Grammatically and theologically, they're three separate things because the subject is different and the person doing the baptism is different and the outcome is different. 
And the problem is we can get in our, in our upbringing as believers, we can get stuck on some of these because the churches that we belong to or the people who led us as disciples didn't lead us into the fullness of understanding of all the three things. And then somewhere up here in our life, like me, we go, something's not right, Lord. Why? It's got to be because something back here wasn't set right in the foundations. And we've got to go back to those foundations, make sure they're complete and grab hold of what we missed out of and then be obedient to live it out. So Jesus takes us and plunges us into the Holy Spirit. And that's the transformation, isn't it? That this life of mine is immersed into the Holy Spirit and I'm never the same. I cannot possibly be the same because of what I'm being immersed into. I'm burst into the Spirit of God and now I have the power to live this new life that I got when I was baptized into Christ. Really important that we understand those three. So together, these three baptisms culminate the different stages of regeneration successively. If you look through Scripture, when there was faith in God and repentance, there was baptism in water and there was baptism in the Holy Spirit within hours, even in the same hour. In most of our upbringing, there was uh, a repentance, and for most of us that were brought up in church, it wasn't a black and white thing. We slowly realized, oh, I might go to hell. And so there was repentance, but did we fully understand the weight of that repentance? Did we tr truly understand, I've got to completely turn my life around? I don't know, but that's repentance. Um, and then there's this belief, this whole belief thing that we've got to have in Christ, who he is. The price that he paid, what it cost him to pay that price, and what he's giving to me as a result of believing in that. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. He gave us his spirit so that we could live the life and live it out beautifully. Did you know that this exact principle is in the Old Testament? I want you to think about this. When you came to the tabernacle, the place where you what? Encountered God. To get to this spot up the end, the Holy of Holies, you had to come in the, the opening door. There's only one way to the Father, that's through Christ the Son. And you would come in, in Old Testament times, through the gate, and you would get to the brazen altar of sacrifice, and blood had to be shed. You had to get a little lamb and sacrifice it, and blood was shed. And we know that Christ had to be the lamb that was slain, and blood had to be shed for the remission of sin. So there's, there's a recognition of salvation that's needed at that first point. The first thing you did in those outer courts had all to do with salvation. Then you would move through to the laver, and you would wash yourself, just like we get washed in water for baptism. And then we would go a little further. And if we wanted to get into the Holy of Holies, we had to go through the veil. But before you could go through the veil, you had to be anointed with oil. What would have happened if you'd have got baptized or um, got saved, let me put it that way, and then been, been washed in water, but you tried to get into the Holy of Holies without being anointed with oil? Like if you hadn't followed the proper process and tried to get into the presence of God without the right preparation, in Old Testament times you would have frizzled. But isn't that, I know from my experience, that was my 
my trying to get relationship with God was I understood salvation and, and I'd been washed in water, but I'd never received the Holy Spirit. I'd never had the third baptism, never understood the power of God to live this life could only come through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in me. But I was taught to fear him. I was taught that all the gifts that the Spirit gives are not of God. And so I built up a stronghold in my life. And I tried to get to God. Tried to get this relationship and experience God with that missing link. And this is what um, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. And he said, this principle of salvation and water and the Spirit is, is in the Old Testament. But it's also in the New Testament. And it's there again and again and again. As we read through the book of Acts, we see these three baptisms time and time again. And even the apostles go to great lengths to make sure the believers have had these three baptisms. And sometimes they've missed out on one and they go back and they make sure the platform and the foundations are right. Look at this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, get saved and be baptized in water, every one of you in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. That promise is for every one of us. Such a beautiful promise. Now when the Sumerians believed... They had salvation. They believed in Christ. The apostle Philip proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and the name of Christ. They were baptized into water, both men and women. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that, this, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, third doctrine, laying on of hands, and they received the Holy Spirit. Do you see the separation? So there's denominations out there that teach repentance. They teach faith in Christ. They teach water baptism, but they don't teach baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they're separate. They are fundamentally separate, they're grammatically separate, and they're doctrinally separate. But they're all essential, and we've got to have all three. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. They must have gone to the same church I went to, I think. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Well, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism for repentance. So he, he told the pe people to believe in the one coming after them, that is Jesus, so they were saved. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in water. And then Paul placed his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Salvation, water, spirit, three baptisms, really essential. Now, here's something I really want you to get. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. What do they bear witness to? There's three in heaven, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and they all bear witness. What are they bearing witness to? That God is God, that he's 
nature and character and attributes. God is God. There's no doubt. The Holy Spirit asked the Father, are we God? Yes, we're God. God asked the Son, are we God? We're God. The, the three agree. The three are one. And, and they testify to that through their character and nature and all that they do. But there are three on earth that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. What did they bear witness to? What do these baptisms bear witness to? They mirror the Trinity, but they bear witness to something. They bear witness to God's work being complete in you. You can be saved and you can be in Christ, but that doesn't mean you've received the power to live that new life. There can be a separation. And that's the danger of so many believers out there that they've been left high and dry. Why? Because teachers didn't teach them the full gospel. Sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes they've been taught the fullness of it, but for some reason they won't walk in it. So just receiving the Holy Spirit is essential, but it doesn't stop just with receiving the Spirit. We've got to live a life out in obedience to that Holy Spirit and his lordship in my life. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought you your adoption and brought you to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So in the Old Testament, the ultimate encounter was with God was when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he could only go there on one day of the year. The New Testament is that we should live in the Holy of Holies every moment of every day. That's the fullness of God. But there's a way to get there. There's a way to live in it. And if you short-circuit that process in any way, shape or form, you're going to come up incomplete. You're not going to be living in God's fullness. But the fullness of that transaction is that God's Spirit testifies with my spirit, Abba Father, my Daddy, I'm home in my Father's house. I've encountered everything that God wanted me to. This is the master design of all God wanted to do. It's the ultimate of God's word. And God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so we can all embrace the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the work that the Spirit wants to do in our life, not just on one day, not just in one hour, but every day of every moment. And the outworking of that when we read the book of Acts is what? Incredible. The works that I do, Jesus said, you will do. And that's what the reckoning has to be. Lord, why? Why are we not seeing what we saw in Acts? Why is there not the power? Why is there not this testimony of transformation in our lives bubbling away all the time? You know, there's a real danger if we've missed out on some of these. You know that, you know, the hardest part of understanding this is a little bit like what the writer of Hebrews said when he started writing to them about being immature. He said, some of you don't want to understand anymore. You know, the tragedy of the 18 months that we've been doing church is that people have come through that door. They've heard me teach about repent, believe, be baptized, received, and they've come to Cheryl and I and said, we're not sure that we can sit under your teaching about the Holy Spirit. And my heart aches when I hear that. 
when there's people in our church that right now are going to leave because they say our emphasis on the Holy Spirit is too strong. What I want to say to you is it hasn't been strong enough. It hasn't been strong enough. Don't shoot the messenger. Listen to the message. The whole of the New Testament is about the acts of the Holy Spirit, not the acts of the apostles. The apostles couldn't do anything. That's repentance and faith, knowing that, God, I've got nothing. I can't do anything unless you fill me with your spirit. I can't live a life that has power over my flesh unless you fill me with your spirit. But it's saying, I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to look at those things. I don't want to be that. I want to abhor that. And I want to be holy. But I can't be holy unless you fill me with your spirit. And I submit to you and let you rule in my life. You know, it makes my heart ache that the families that say that they believe, that's the lie. I believe. Well, if you believe in a resurrected Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is supposed to live in you. Why do you fear that? What, what's logical about that? There's nothing. And for years I lived so frightened and, and oh, I'm so ashamed of some of the things that I've done and said to deny the work of God. I remember when, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon Cheryl and she spoke in tongues and she came out to me to share what God had done, I shut her down because my theology was, oh, be frightened of the Holy Spirit. Be careful what you might get. That is illogical. What is God going to give you that's bad? Nothing. Unless our doctrinal basis is warped. Okay, That's why those foundations are so important because they keep us. They keep us. And so you can go to churches today and they'll go, it's okay to have infant baptism. You're baptized into the fullness of God. It's a lie. It's unbelief. It's not the truth. And it's perverted. And so what happens? We get... Christians that aren't living in the fullness. We get all sorts of doctrine that's emphasizing the wrong things and watering it down. And, you know, Kevin Rudd this week, I'm a practicing Christian. I'm for same sex marriage. What about you? He doesn't understand repentance. Because if he knew he served the holy God, he, he, you know, in the Old Testament times, they wouldn't even say the name of God. They were so, you know, had this reverence about God that they wouldn't even say it. Here's the thing. Jesus is our example of these three baptisms, okay? Jesus didn't need to get baptized into himself, okay? So the Holy Spirit didn't need to baptize Jesus into Jesus because Jesus was Jesus. And Jesus didn't get need, to, need to be saved because he was the saviour. He didn't need deliverance because he was the deliverer. Does that make sense? He didn't need to be born again because he was born right the first time. He was perfect, Okay? Um, so, so he didn't need the first baptism. But he came to the water and he came to John and he said, baptize me in water. And John went, why do I need to baptize you? You're God. But he was also man. And in his humanity, he fulfilled all righteousness and he was baptized into water. Now, at the age of 30, everyone that was going to be a high priest and go into the Holy of Holies had to be baptized. And that's the end goal for us, to live in the intimacy with God. Not God far off, God in here, dwelling within us. So he needed to be baptized in water. He's the second Adam. He's the trailblazer. He's the one that we follow. He made the way. 
And if it was good enough for him to get baptised in water, then my word to you is, if you're not baptised, get baptised, please. Not to please me, to please your father. Because that's his plan. And then the third one was baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay, if Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit to do his ministry, then why did Scripture put it in there? In his humanity, he needed the power of the Spirit to live the life that he was supposed to live. If he'd have never had that Holy Spirit coming down upon him and remaining on him, he couldn't have done it. He needed to receive, just like you and I need to receive. And then we go on into Luke 4, which is immediately after his baptism, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. And the, and the devil tempted him, and he overcame the temptation of the devil, and then he came back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And he stood up and he rolled out the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. First line, the preposition, the prerequisite for everything that Jesus was going to do. What was he going to do? Make the blind see. And there it goes. It's a beautiful pattern for us. So how many baptisms are there? There's three. And you might even be able to argue that there's four. Because he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay? So the fire, what does fire represent? The Holy Spirit, right? That's the, the imagery, the analogy, but fire purges, it brands, it, it empowers, it's, it does all that work. And so it's a descriptor of being immersed into the Holy Spirit. If I'm immersed into red dye, like if Cara dyes her hair green tomorrow, her hair's green, right? If we immerse her hair into red dye, it's red. But if we immerse her into the Holy Spirit, she'll be on fire. Because that's, that's the outcome of being immersed. And that's what we read in Scripture. That's what happened. So, I de- so there's three. What are they for? To seal salvation. The washing, the symbolism of the washing and the resurrection and the cutting off of the old life. As Moana goes through that water today, she's declaring, that old Moana, she's gone, man. She's in the grave. And God does not hold anything against her anymore. That's the wonder of grace. That's the wonder of forgiveness. But she needs power. She needs power to go on from here. Not just to get to that point. That's, that's just the start of what God wants to do with her. And he'll take her on to do greater things even that Jesus did. That's the promise of Jesus. I love it when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on the disciples. They had no... No idea what was going to happen, did they? They hadn't sat in Bible study class or theological class and they didn't know about tongues or they didn't know about prophecy. They just had a hunger. They were waiting for God to come and do whatever he had planned to do. And this incredible encounter happens and Peter stands up and he preaches this message and the people that hear that message were cut to the heart. Repentance. The heart of repentance is to be cut to the heart, to know who you really are before a holy God and to change your whole life because of that. And then they cried out, Peter, what have we got to do? Like, like we know where we're at now. What, what have we got to do? And he said what? Repent, be baptized in water, and receive the Holy Spirit. 
three baptisms that all should happen like this. If you have the privilege and the honour of leading anyone to salvation, not that you lead them to salvation, you just teach them the truth. You can't save anyone. Don't leave them there. Make sure they understand the importance of baptism in water, but don't leave them there. Make sure that they understand the work in the person of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in their life and teach them that he's not just coming to... um, to visit them. He's coming to habitate with them. He's coming to renovate. Okay? It's the big block. He wants to come in and move all the walls around and he wants to do stuff with you. You've got to submit and you've got to surrender. You can't negotiate with God, oh, but, oh, but, uh, no. You can't argue with the doctrine of God. If we do, we get out of whack. So what do we do if we think we've missed out? Or what do you, what do, you do if you, can, if you can stand here this morning and say, Mark, I, what you're saying is resonating with me. I know I'm not living in the fullness. Go back to those foundational truths and make sure you understand them. Make sure you not, don't just understand them a little bit. Make sure you understand them a lot. Because I can guarantee if we get those foundations right, then God will let us go on. Because he wants us to go on. But it's almost like he knows we're going to have a disaster until we've got the foundations right. He really wants us to live in the fullness. So I believe as a, I guess as a, as a group, but individually, we need to have a reckoning with God. I believe we're on the cusp of going into, into more. And it's not anything new. Catalyst is not going to discover some... You know, fabulous new thing. Okay, it's just going back and redigging the wells. You know, like Isaac had to go back and redig the wells that Abraham had dug to get to the water. We've got to go back and redig. Okay, we've got to redig and re reignite what should have been ours in the beginning. We've got to possess all that God wants us to possess. And that's for me, I've had a few weeks to think about that, and I haven't stopped crying. And I haven't stopped being challenged about where I need to get to. But I've come back to a place where I'm willing. And I want to encourage you to go on that journey too. I don't know what God wants to do in your life. But the reckoning is your responsibility. To hear the word. To answer the question, are you living in the fullness of God? If not, do something, please. Would you go on a little journey with me? I'm really challenged to unpack this more, and I don't know where it's going to take us. But we've got to, we've got to walk in the fullness of what God wants. Even if, if traditions are going to be <laughs> smacked in the head, even if we've got to come back like little babies and say, God, I just haven't been taught the truth. That's a hard thing to do. You know, it's a hard thing to humble yourself and say, Lord, I, I miss some stuff. But what's the end goal? The fullness. <laughs> You know, I want to be part of a church family where people's possessions are getting sold and, and, and the prison gates are breaking open and angels are setting people free and, you know, there's deliverance and there's healings and there's, there's this awe. And that's what Moana said this morning. I am so in awe of God. That's where we need to be. In awe of what he's done for us, in awe of who we are in him, in awe of what he wants to do with us. 
That's where we've got to be. Let's pray. Father, I just, I just know that you don't want us to feed off the scraps, the little morsels that just fall off the table. Lord, you want us to feast on the fullness of who you are. Lord, I really pray that people would say about us, what's got into you? And we can say, not what, who? Who has got into me? Who have I been immersed into? Who have I been filled with? Who am I living for? Who am I passionate about? This God, this Father who loved me so much that he sacrificed his only son. That his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ could be credited to me. That when God looks at me, the Father looks at me, he just sees me through Jesus. Redeemed, forgiven, new and fresh again. Lord, I thank you that you did even more than that. You sent your spirit. Spirit of the living God, not just to visit us, but to dwell deep in our hearts, to to take over our lives. Lord, I pray this morning that you would soften our hearts, that you would teach us afresh today to walk in the whole truth and nothing but the truth, to have the courage to let go of doctrine that's not accurate or not correct to embrace things that we've never been taught before. If they're new to our ears and new to our heart, Lord, would you not just teach us cognitively, but would you speak to the eyes of our heart so that, Lord, we can walk in your fullness, the fullness that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for your word that just so clearly teaches us what your desire is for us. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established, being rooted in the foundations of good doctrine and established in the love of God, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Whatever it is, Lord, that's a stumbling block for me to live and walk in that fullness, Lord, rip it out. Expose it to me. Enlighten me so I can deal with it and leave it behind and walk in your fullness. And Lord, that's my prayer for everyone that's involved in the life of this church. 
that belongs to this family of believers, Lord. We want to believe the right things. We want to believe in a God for whom nothing is impossible. Just like William Wallace said, why is that impossible? That should be the testimony of our hearts. Why is that impossible? Because my God says that nothing's impossible for him. So Lord, let us fight for this. Let us fight for one another's understanding of this. Let us spur one another on to the fullness of what God wants. Lord, come. Come and meet us wherever we are and take us on. Take us on in you. Reveal your fullness to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So this week, can I encourage you? If there's anyone in the life of this church who hasn't heard this message, could you give it to them somehow? Encourage them, urge them to listen to it. And I want to ask the question of you to come back next week with the answer in your heart and mind, am I walking in the fullness of God? So I don't want to just have a moment here where we pray and God does something and we move on quickly. This is foundational. And if it means a bit of hard work to, in my life, in your life, to work it out, that's okay. But I believe what God's going to do is he's going to show us where we need to get back to or where we've got away from. And that testimony is going to come. And if that encounter does come and that testimony does come, next week would you come and share with us what God has done so we can help one another? I bet you as you heard me share today, you went, Mark's not alone. Are you willing to let God move in your life afresh again today? But not just for today. This is not a quick fix. This is a life journey. I really want to be on that journey in its fullness. I really pray that you'll go on that journey with me over the next couple of weeks. I'll leave that with you. Thanks, God.